It's good to be with you. And also with you. I've got to keep teaching you this. It's, it's good to be with you. And then you respond and also with you. It's good to be with you. Oh, cool. Uh, and I am always aware of the privilege of being allowed to preach here. So a big thanks to Zooks and to Kylie and to the leadership. Uh, it's a great gift that you have a pensioner. Uh, we start a series on the Sermon on the Mount. I think you will know, and if you don't know, can I remind you that the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. Just think about that for a moment. The Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus preached and taught, is the greatest sermon that this world has ever, ever heard. It's been around for 2,000 years. People are still exploring it. It's an incredible sermon. And I want us to know that as we start this journey for four weeks together. So I'm going to begin it with the first part of the, ser- of the sermon right at the beginning, and you will know this passage. You may even have it on a plaque in a, on, a, you know, on, on the wall of your home. Uh, it's up there with like the 23rd Psalm and the Ten Commandments. Uh, this, this passage uh, is often quoted, and I'm going to suggest today, so I'm really going to engage your thinking that we often misinterpret this passage uh, terribly, terribly. But let's look at it together. Here's the background for the sermon. When Jesus saw the crowds, so you have to have a picture of him just being surrounded by people, just being surrounded by people. He went up to the mountain, gave him some elevation so people could see him. And after he sat down, in those days the rabbi, when he taught, would sit down. His disciples came to him, so his disciples are there as well. So you've got a picture, you've got a crowd of people, and you've got the disciples. They're all together. And then he began to speak and, and taught them, saying, and here come what we call the Beatitudes. It's a big word, that, Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, those who show mercy, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that comes from Matthew uh, chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 to 12. And we thank, we thank God for those words that come to us through the lips of Jesus. Um, they reverberate through the ages and they land in our hearts today. Amen. Let me begin by sharing with you a nerve-wracking moment. Uh, one nerve-wracking moment of the many thousand nerve-wracking moments that I've had in my life. But let me just share with you one. 1973, a long time ago, I had just left Firestone Tire Company where I uh, had been working and I was going to offer myself for the Methodist ministry. So it was a very big move for me from financial ministry to pastoral ministry. Now the first thing that happens when you offer yourself for the Methodist ministry, the first thing that happens is you have to do an oral examination uh, in front of all your maybe your peers, if you get accepted. So there are about 100, 150 other ministers. And my oral examination was to take place in Stillfontein in the winter of 1973. Can you picture Stillfontein? Winter, June, 1973. And I came before uh, the bishop, the chairman of the district, as they were called in that day. And his name was Stanley Pitts. Reverend Pitts. Very stern man, a very stern man. Um, his name and his character. <laughs> and I stood before him and he said to me, uh, Mr. Hudson, and the formality scared me. Mr. Hudson, you would like to become a Methodist minister? I said, yes, sir. He said, I just have one question for you. What was the main message of Jesus? How would you answer that? Mr. Hudson, 
what is the main message of Jesus? And so I said to him, sir, Jesus came to forgive us our sins so we could go to heaven. And he looked at me and he said, no. Now, where do you go next? So I thought, I remember something about angels coming at Christmas time. And I said, peace on earth, sir. He said, no, no. Now I began to wonder where the firestone would have me back. <laughs> but I thought I'd give it one more bash. So I said something about love, something about love. I don't remember what I said, but something about love. And he said, no. And so I said, I give up, sir. I give up. Here I am. I want to become a Methodist minister. And I don't know what the main message of Jesus is. And then he said to me these words. And I've never forgotten them. He said to me, Trevor, and that just relieved me. Trevor. <laughs> that was just a relief. He said, Trevor, I want you never, ever to forget that the main message of Jesus is the availability of the kingdom of God to people today. Did you know that? That the main message of Jesus is the availability of the kingdom of God to ordinary people like you and me today. And so for over 40 years, that's what I've been seeking to do in my own preaching and teaching, just simply to say that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God, now in East Rand English, the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the energy of God, the unshakability of God, that is available to anyone and everyone today. That's the message. And it's possible to go to church or come to church for years and never know the message and never experience it. The reality of living in the kingdom of God, not after death, but beginning to Live in some of those realities now, now, now. That's the, that's the, that's the good news. <laughs> that, that you and I can go to any human being and say the kingdom of God's available to you. It's about, Mr. Pitts was right. Now the question is, and this is the question that Reb Zooks has asked me to address, is who lives in that kingdom? <laughs> who lives in that kingdom? It's not automatic. Who gets to experience something of the reality of this kingdom 
in our lives here and now? It is a critical question and the stakes are high. The stakes are high. And it's against the backdrop of that question, critical question, that I want to take you to the Beatitudes today. The Beatitudes are going to help us if we interpret them healthily. And so I'm praying, and I've been praying for this. I've really battled with the message for today. So it's come out of a lot of struggle. And I'm just praying that somehow God will use my own words. Somehow God will use my words to kind of draw you today into this kingdom, the reality of this kingdom. Today, today, so that we can be kingdom people. Now, can I begin, and I'm going to share just a few simple thoughts, very simple thoughts. Can I begin by saying, please hear me on this one, that we misinterpret the Beatitudes. We misinterpret them. We get them wrong when we see them as an exclusive list of people who get to live in the kingdom. We get them terribly wrong. That's how I was taught them. For many years, I thought, as I went through the Beatitudes, that if I want to live in the kingdom, then I've got to be poor in spirit. Then I've got to mourn. Then I've got to be meek. Then I've got to get persecuted. Then I've got to make peace. And then maybe if I tick one of those boxes, I make the cut and I get, part to, I get to be part of the kingdom. That is a terrible misinterpretation. When the Beatitudes become a list of God's elite club. <laughs> then we get them wrong. When we turn the Beatitudes, please stay with me. When we turn the Beatitudes into prescriptions for those who live in the kingdom, we get them wrong. <laughs> we get them wrong. There's nothing blessed about being poor. There's nothing blessed about mourning. Nothing. There's nothing blessed about being persecuted. It's terrible. So be careful now. When we look at the Beatitudes, do not turn them into a, a prescription list of God's who elite club of kind of who-hoos, as it were. Can I say secondly, and now I'm going to become positive. Think carefully with me. Begin to see the Beatitudes as illustrations, as pictures of the good news of Jesus. 
What is the good news of Jesus? Can you please tell me? I've just tried my best to tell you. What is the good news of Jesus? The good news of Jesus is what? The kingdom of God is available. That was a bit pup. Can we say it a bit more strongly? The kingdom of God is available. It's available to you, to me. And the Beatitudes are, a, are illustrations of that wonderful reality. So, remember Jesus is teaching a crowd, most probably a crowd of Jewish people. They were most probably mostly Jews. Now, let me just give you a backstory. The religious leadership within the Jewish community of the Old Testament believed certain people lived in the kingdom of God. Five clear characteristics. Only Jews lived in the kingdom of God. Only Jews. Secondly, it would be preferable if you were a male. Okay? Very important. Thirdly, you would need to get every bit of the law right. Every bit of the law, you would have to be able to tick the box. Every, every law, 613 in the Old Testament, you would have to get them right. You would need to be healthy. You would need to be healthy. Remember, lepers were unclean. They weren't part of the kingdom. You would have to be healthy. To be blessed was to be healthy. And obviously, last of all, you had to be wealthy. You had to have means. Then you were blessed. Then you were blessed. Now Jesus stands up with people who have been taught this, and his words are shocking. He deconstructs everything they've been taught. Let's look at the first one. I, I, I'm not going to take you through all of them, so relax. Just let's, look at the, let's just look at the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, he's looking at a crowd, and he sees people who are poor in spirit. What does that mean? They are spiritually bankrupt. They've got nothing going for them. They are spiritual nobodies. You would not ask them to be an elder in the local church. They are nobodies. And Jesus sees these nobodies, and he says to them, you are blessed, not because you're a nobody, but because the kingdom of heaven is available to you. The blessedness lies in the kingdom, not in the condition. Jesus says to the spiritual nobody, you know, the kingdom's available to you, friend. You can know the dignity and the worth and the value of being, of being a part of God's people. What good news is that? Beautiful good news. Then let's take another one. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, there's nothing blessed about mourning. Mourning is terrible. When you live with a broken heart, when you live with grief and sadness, it's not a blessing. 
There's nothing blessed about mourning. Where is the blessedness? The comfort of the kingdom is yours. You will know the consolation and the comfort of God in your mourning. That's the blessedness. You ready for one more? Let me take the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing lacquer about getting persecuted for righteousness. Talk to any whistleblower in this country at the moment who's blown the whistle on corruption. There's nothing blessed about being a whistleblower. You get hammered, you get persecuted, you'll be hounded by those with authority and power and means. And we see it every day in this country. There's nothing blessed about being persecuted for righteousness. Nothing. Where is the blessedness? You can know the reality of the kingdom in the midst of your persecution. You can know the reality of God's loving presence, of God's care, of God's nearness. You can, that's the blessedness. And you see what Jesus is doing. He's looking at the crowd and he's seeing groups of people, poor in spirit, mourning, meek, persecuted, some of them trying to make peace. And he says, you can know the reality of the... The Beatitudes are illustrations of the good news that the kingdom of God is available to anyone and everyone. I was thinking... Christ is present with us now in the power of his spirit. But I was thinking if he was here physically in flesh and blood and he would sit down here, he would sit down here and he would look at us, we would be the crowd. And he would look out at us and he would say, blessed are you who are fighting cancer. For the kingdom of God can be yours. You can know God's presence and God's nearness. Blessed of you who've known the pain and the betrayal of divorce. You can know the healing and the new beginnings of the kingdom. Blessed are you who every day gets rejected and marginalized because of who you are. The kingdom is yours. You can be included in God's kingdom. You can be welcome. Blessed are you who are separated from your loved ones and from your kids. The kingdom is yours because you can know God's companionship and care. Blessed are you whose business has gone down the drain because of what's been going on. The kingdom of God is available to you and you can know the reality of God's provision and care in that situation. Blessed are you who you're growing old and you feel decrepit. Blessed are you because the kingdom of God is available to you and you can, you can rise up like eagles and know something of the energy of God even as you approach death. 
It's illustrations of the good news that the kingdom is available to anyone and everyone. To you. (laughs) Your life situation doesn't cut you off from the good news. That's what Jesus was saying. And the last thing I want to say, and this is perhaps the most important, is that these promises come true when we begin to interact with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Jesus is the kingdom on two legs. Jesus is the one who makes the kingdom available. And when I interact with Christ, and I choose that word carefully, when I interact with Christ every day of my life, the kingdom becomes increasingly real. It's not going to drop on my head. You can miss the kingdom. You can, you can go through your whole life and not know the realities of the kingdom of God. We enter the kingdom, we live in the kingdom as we turn to Christ and interact with him. First-hand interaction. And you may say to me, Trevor, how do I interact with Jesus? Well, that's another sermon. But let me give you some clues. You interact with him when you let him into your life. Kylie was praying about that today. When we let him into the darkness of our hearts. That's interaction. You interact with Christ when you talk to him. When you talk to him. That's interaction. That's interaction. You interact with Christ when each day you listen to him. What's his whisper? What is he saying to me today? You interact with him. You interact with Christ when you see him in people around you, especially those who are suffering. You interact with Christ because in as much as you do to the least, you do to him. You interact with Christ when you practice his presence every day, every situation. Jesus, I know you're with me in this. I need to do that almost in everything I do these days. I'm sitting out there with Debbie before the service. I feel my palms. They are sweating. I just say, Jesus, help me. I interact. I have to interact. I've got sweaty palms. We interact with Christ. Now let me give you a heads up. We interact with Christ when we take the words of the Sermon on the Mount seriously. Not as laws, but as wonderful illustrations of how we can interact with God and Christ today. Can I invite you to enter into a first-hand life of interaction with the living Christ who leads us, who leads us into the realities of the kingdom in the midst of what we're going through. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. Can I just invite you for a moment? You may want to, you don't have to. You may want to close your eyes. 
I want you just to think of the situation you're in right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. The situation of your relationships. The situation of your work, of our country. The psychological situation you're in. Mentally, psychologically, emotionally. I want you just to be aware of your situation just for a moment. Just for a moment. Have it clearly before you. And now the resurrected Christ comes to you in the power of his spirit. And he says to you, the reality of the kingdom is available to you where you are. And now he invites you to interact with him. To interact with him. And you can do it right now. You can just say to him, what's on your heart? You can cry out for help. You can say thank you. You can say please. If you're angry, you can tell him. But just begin to interact. And Jesus says to you and to me that as we interact with him, he will begin to lead us into the realities. The realities, the the. the, the peace of the kingdom, the joy of the kingdom, the unshakability of the kingdom, the security of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, the energy of the kingdom, the friendship of the He will lead us gradually into these realities that we may begin to taste before we die something of the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come. And maybe you have never, ever interacted with Christ before. And maybe while heads are bowed, you are wanting today to begin a life of interaction with Christ. And if you want to, I'd love to pray with you. And I'm, I just want to ask you just to stand. No one's looking at you, but I can see you. And I'd love just to pray for you, and I'll give you a few moments. If you would like to step into a life of deep interaction, you may want to, you just may want to just hold out your palms just as an expression. Lord, my hands are open, they're empty. God, I ask you that you will come to these men and these women today. You know what they're going through. You know. And you'll come in your risen, resurrected presence. Will you just come? Just come to us. And will you draw us? We don't have to have lots of faith. Just draw us into interaction with you. That we may come to know, Lord, that the kingdom of God is real. That it's real. 
It's the most real thing in this world. Oh, come, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come Come by the power of your Spirit. Come and minister to us. Give us faith. Just give us a bit of faith. Give us trust. Give us your courage. Come, Lord. Come, come, come. Let us all stand. Let us all stand as we begin to worship.